People pay money to see me in a 20 by 20 ring. Welcome back to the 20 by 20 ring crew. I am your host, Joe, and he is not here this week. Uh, I'm giving Matt the week off after our one year anniversary. Again, thank you guys so much for supporting and listening to the show. Uh, We work hard. We really do. Week after week, we try to, (laughs) I hate to sound like another podcast, but we try to insert logic where there is no logic. We try to approach pro wrestling each and every week from a logical standpoint. And I know that's really hard to do sometimes because you have a lot of people's different difference of opinions and thought processes that go into booking pro wrestling or sports entertainment. That's where you fans come in. A lot of it a lot of you guys have uh, very strong opinions about what you want to watch, and we support that. We definitely support that here at the 20 by 20 Ring Crew. This week, uh, we're going to try something a little bit different. Again, Matt has the week off. Get rest and uh, take it easy, my brother. But uh, we are going to we're going to do a watch along. Uh, if if you guys don't mind. Um, This is episode 51, and we're going to take uh, a look back at the WWF In Your House pay-per-view St. Valentine's Day Massacre 1999. Of course, in honor of Valentine's Day, which this show should be airing the day after. So, we hope you guys had a a lovely Valentine's Day, and uh, you got to hang out with people you love and care about. This this podcast is like an afterthought of that. This is... uh, This is for all you wrestling fans who may not have had the opportunity to um, enjoy something pro wrestling related and might have wanted to. So, um, if you don't have the WWE Network, which we'll be using for this podcast, uh, you can get your own subscription through us and support the show. You can do that by going to 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash WWE Network. And that's all one word. There's no spaces, no hyphens, nothing like that. And what we're going to do is, uh, once you have logged on to the WWE Network, find yourself uh, in your house. Same, it's, it's actually, it isn't in your house pay-per-view, but it's under St. Valentine's Day Massacre for whatever reason. Uh, this is the 27th in your house pay-per-view that the WWF would put on. Uh, it happened February 15th, um, excuse, I'm sorry, February 14th of 1999 at the, uh, in the Pyramid, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Attendance was about 19,028 people, give or take. Um, and this was, uh, this was one of those weird schedules where this was actually followed the day after a Saturday Night Raw. One of the few times during during Raw's um, long, tumultuous uh, television relationship with us fans, where you had Monday Night Raw happening on a different night. Uh, keep in mind when they, you know, in years past, they've been preempted by the um, 
the, the like the big dog show that happens every year I forget you know I, it, it escapes the name of it escapes me but uh you know there's there's been those preemptive uh reasonings before and and, and other stuff but so yeah this pay-per-view is happening right after a Saturday night raw so it was back-to-back shows and what we're gonna do we're gonna queue it up uh, so make sure you have your network subscri- subscription up and running. Find yourself St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Again, I would look that up as opposed to in your house. And uh, we're going to hit play. And I'm going to start it at 4 seconds in. So the timer says 0004. So we have the um, the graphics, the old uh, WWF graphics. Which, uh, those are always uh, really interesting to me. Especially now, you see the countdown, uh, the old timey countdown black and white scratchy film going and you have uh, bits of austin versus mcmahon going on at the at uh, this point in time this production uh, man it's this is one thing i really like about the attitude era that can easily be done today with today's uh, version of raw and any wwe product and i don't think they do that very well i don't think they step outside the box like to me everything is clean real crisp they don't, for for lack of a better phrasing, they don't take chances like this with their with their video production, and and, and don't get me wrong, they still have great video packages, but you don't see stuff like this. You just don't. There's no there's no like outside the box approach to video vignettes like this, and it's sad because uh, it does make their television, whether it be pay per view or or um, television or what have you on demand it makes it much more interesting you know <laughs> as we continue to see austin and mcmahon just beat the hell out of each other in the in the video clips here so now it's switched to color and again you see um the likes of the corporation and a bloody steve austin <laughs> and uh, this one is sponsored by western union i've always been interested in some of the the sponsors that have that they have chose for pay-per-views over the years um obviously western union's not that uh, really interesting uh, to most people but uh yeah you know it's always like snickers m&m things like that um here we see the crowd uh tons and tons of signs i can't speak enough about signage man i miss I'm, i i do and i don't i miss signs and i don't miss signs there's the banner live from memphis as they pan over the crowd. I was always a fan. I, I'm still a fan of watching people's signs. Like some of the shit they come up with. <laughs> but also, um, you know, it, it's one of those things like of a bygone era. They're not. I mean, you can still see signs here and there uh, sprinkled throughout different pay-per-views and, and television appearances. But it's nowhere near what it used to be. And it's a shame. You know, we, we live in the, the day and age of people voicing their opinion especially as fans and uh, we don't we just don't see it very often and i've heard from uh, other people where um the wwe i you know i can't speak for other promotions but i've i've heard people from the who've attended the wwe shows that they they're not shy about confiscating confiscating certain signs so maybe that's the reason why we don't see too many on television you have gold dust coming out to the ring now and he's feuding with the blue meanie uh before we get to gold dust and blue meanie or blue dust as it were this this uh pay-per-view had a dark match one dark match and that was the tag it was a tag team match between too much 
who consists of Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor, or um, as he likes to be called, Scotty Tuhati. Uh, they defeated the Hardy Boys here in 1999, and you know a lot of people can say a lot of stuff about the tag team of too much. You know Brian Christopher, hell of a wrestler, whether you liked his gimmick or not. Same with Scott Taylor. Guys are straight out of uh, Memphis wrestling, and before you, before any of you sit there and say, oh, you know, just these are just some more fucking southern wrestlers and and their their jobbers you got to keep in mind that the wwf at this point they're doing what they've always done and they they do they water their talent down and it's a shame because both brian christopher and scott taylor are excellent professional wrestlers um, they were just paid to be a certain way and that's what they did and they tried to make the best of it so that was the only dark match and then on sunday night heat you had two pre-show matches the first one was uh viscera along with midian at ringside he defeated test who had big boss man with him by disqualification that ended in about uh two minutes and 20 seconds and then the second pre-show match that happened on sunday night heat was billy gunn with triple h and x pac of course um dx who we're talking about here versus Tiger Ali Singh and it ended up in a no contest ended and it also ended in about 40 seconds really quick pre-show match Sunday night heat pre-show matches quite honestly I I couldn't tell you uh one that I really really liked except for and I don't even think it was a pre-pay-per-view thing where the Alkalites beat the piss out of Public Enemy but uh that's that's another story for another time um so here we have gold dust coming in they just showed the package le- leading up to their feud or you know what had transpired in in the days beforehand where blue meanie basically painted gold dust with blue paint and blue meanie comes out and uh you know obviously he's he's a portly fellow at this point in his career uh <laughs> in my notes i have basically like was this guy wearing any fucking underwear uh, and it bothers me it really it really does bother me because uh it's it's not i don't think anybody would really like to see uh blue junk uh, i'm being honest here uh gold dust makes pretty quick work of of blue dust here uh, match ends in about three minutes and four seconds uh leading up to this match you had the leader of the job squad which was al snow and his mascot head, you guys remember head? Head was stolen from him by Goldust, who ended up restyling it and kind of keeping it with his own makeup style, which was definitely a, a, an odd take on a, sto- a storyline, but uh, it, it worked, I would say. On the January 25th, 1999 edition of Raw, uh, the Blue Meanie made his debut, and he came through the crowd, and he stole the head back from Goldust for Al Snow. And then the following week, on February 1st, Goldust attacked Blue Meanie, and the night before the event, uh, again, on this special Saturday Night Raw, Goldust lost a match to Gilberg, you guys remember Gilberg, when the Blue Meanie distracted him with a video parodying, parodying him, renaming himself Blue Dust. And so after the match was over, the arena went dark with a blue hue similar to Goldust's uh, entrance, you know. And then Goldust was disgraced by having this blue paint poured all over him. I have a lot of feelings about Goldust. <laughs> First of all, I, I gotta sit here and say, Dustin Reynolds completely underrated performer and he will forever be that uh, i really really would like to do 
an all gold dust episode of this podcast. I I think uh, a lot of you need to appreciate and understand gold dust uh, for for more than what most people take him as. Uh, With that being said, Blue Meanie misses the, getting back to the match here, Blue Meanie misses a moonsault. And here's where the underwear part comes in. So Goldust lifts him up and kind of uh, forward slams him and pins him. Again, this is only about three minutes and four seconds. Really quick match. But when he picks him up, his his onesie, his his romper, I guess. Man, he was so close to having his junk show. And like, no offense, I just, I don't want to see that. And it has, it doesn't have anything to do with his weight. Like, I'm just not in the mood to see some guy's junk. <laughs> I'm just not. Uh, Blue Meanie gets set up here in the corner of the ring for another Shattered Dreams after the match is over. And uh, the ref is begging him, you know, please, please don't do it. But he does it anyway. So Blue Meanie, there's really not much to say about Blue Meanie here in the WWF. I feel like this was one of those ECW guys that they signed so that he wouldn't go anywhere else or, or, or something to that nature. And uh, they just, uh, again, he, they underutilized him. So Goldust is leaving the ring, and uh, that, that's about it. Uh, here now they're showing uh, a Sunday Night Heat video package that happened earlier tonight where you see uh, Vince McMahon and Shawn Michaels in the ring. And they're waiting for Stone Cold to come out. Stone Cold, um, if you don't know, this, this is the main event of the show. It's going to be Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon in a steel cage. And Stone Cold basically said he's he's going to make Vince McMahon bleed he's going to make him pay with his own blood so this is one of those feuds uh, as as we see Austin get spit put in put on his face by Vince McMahon uh, this is one of those feuds that just resonates with everyone because it's it's you you know you you all all of you whether you like it or not you all identify it as you you're you're getting to give your boss the business you're you're telling your boss off that's what that stone cold versus vince mcmahon feud does for everyone it fulfills that fantasy and that's why it was so wildly popular man what a great fucking idea and it almost happened by like a happy accident if you guys don't know you know it was it was not necessarily planned and it just kind of happened organically which man I, I wish the wwf or wwe now would uh, approach things more that way. Let things happen organically. I think a a lot of their TV and pay-per-views would be better if they just kind of let things go with the flow uh, as long as it makes sense for the story. Uh, Getting back to the pay-per-view here, we have our second match of the night. You have Hardcore Bob Holly taking on Al Snow with Head. And this is for the vacant Hardcore title. How did the vacant... How did the vacancy happen? Well, in the first few weeks of 1999, you had the the Road Dog and Al Snow. They had formed um, kind of like a, a hardcore tag team. But after they lost to the Alkalites, they had a dispute and Al Snow challenged Road Dog to a fight. So, or yeah, and it was about being who was more hardcore. So when the Road Dog was attacked backstage and he couldn't fight anymore, Al Snow began to have a match with himself by hitting himself with weapons, moonsaulting onto a table. It was uh, it was definitely a sight to see. And his fellow Job Squad member Bob Holly came to the ring and tried to talk some sense into him. And then he found himself brawling with Al Snow instead. So when this was discovered, when it was discovered that the attack on Road Dog would prevent him from defending that hardcore championship, a match between uh, both Al Snow 
and Hardcore Bob Holly was signed to be put on here at the pay-per-view in Memphis, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And uh, they don't hold back, um, right? You know, we just saw Al, uh, Al Snow get hit with a fire extinguisher and what looks to be either a coffee mug or a beer bottle. I, I can't tell. Something glass. Uh, they're fighting near the the um, the entranceway. And there goes Al Snow again with... Uh, this time he's giving the fire extinguisher to Bob Holly as opposed to taking it. And they are definitely making their way to the back. Uh, beating the piss out of each other as two hardcore combatants should be doing. This, this, match, this match is all over the fucking building. They go outside. Um, they're they're into all kinds of shit. Um, they end up in I forget what river it is. Yeah, they <laughs> they they end up in in water outside in the fucking frigid cold air. I don't know. I don't know how anybody puts up with shit like that. Here we have Al Snow doing the the payphone spot. You know, call somebody <laughs> as he hits him with the receiver. Hardcore wrestling. I know, I know a lot of you are fans of it, and I don't mind it. But I think with just like with everything in life, it's it has a double edge. For all you fans of hardcore wrestling, you have to understand that this does take a toll, more of a toll than a normal wrestling match on the wrestlers or sports entertainers, whatever you're watching. Whether we like it or not, you know, we're all human. And you have to worry about things like concussions and, um, you know, cuts, bruises, scrapes, you know, infection, transmittable diseases, you know, things like that. And don't get me wrong, man, I I am not, I'm not above watching hardcore wrestling. You know, I I attended ECW shows when I was around. Um, I love watching hardcore wrestling. It also paints any promotion that puts it on into a corner because now once you have it you it's like it's like painting yourself into a corner because once you do it you can't take any of it back and usually what happens with your audience or the crowd they end up wanting more they want it to keep being elevated you know if if we see one table now they want three tables if they if you see two chair shots next time they want to see six chair shots and while this can all be entertaining it really does not only shorten the lifespan of a wrestler's career eventually it just becomes senseless and you get you you as a fan get desensitized to it and a a lot of you guys don't seem to understand that or be willing to accept it whatever the case may be and that's that's kind of the shame of all this because hardcore wrestling if done right and, and done sporadically with meaning it can be such an awesome thing for a promotion uh, and i bring i this resonates right now 20 years later uh, we have the birth of all elite wrestling and uh, you know obviously as of this podcast they have not done a show yet uh, their double or nothing pay-per-view happens on i believe may 25th of 2019 so they have yet to announce any kind of hardcore thing as part of the show um although you know at this point kenny omega and chris jericho seemingly have been signed as uh part of the double main event so i could see that being a little hardcore but i'm it's going to be interesting to see the future of hardcore wrestling when it comes to all elite wrestling if and when they showcase it how will the wwf react will we get to see more 
hardcore stuff? You know, will it become um, kind of like a point of interest for everybody again? I, I don't know. I'm not so sure how this is going to go. Back to the match, though. They have made their way outside. Bob Holly just hit Al Snow with a gigantic stop sign on... It's like mounted on a, a metal bracket. And now he's got a wheelbarrow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they're beating the piss out of each other outside with all kinds of stuff. They have yet to go in the water. They're close. Uh, there goes Bob Holly into the wheelbarrow. I really, uh, I really loved the idea of the job squad. Again, the Job Squad was one of those stories or or factions, both story and faction, that was brought to the attention of the WWE by Al Snow. This was Al Snow's creation, and I felt that it really had a place. I just, I think it didn't get a a proper backing. I think they they just didn't give it enough enough rocket fuel strapped to them. And it sucks, because it would have given a lot more meaning to any of the hardcore stuff that happened in the WWF at the time. Now they're on the bank of the the river as Bob Holly's being choked out by Al Snow. And here we go. We are now in the water. <laughs> I think uh, this is the only one that I remember being in the water. I don't remember... Um, any other hardcore matches being any in any kind of body of water or river or what have you. Uh, you're more than welcome to correct me. You can do that via Twitter. We're on Twitter at 20x20crew. But yeah, I, I don't remember too many matches of any sort being in the water. It's interesting to me that they go through a match like this. Like this kind of match gets booked in... in done on a pay-per-view mind you and the entire time you will have tons of people including wwe management just kind of sit there and look down and frown upon like backyard wrestling because to me it's like other other than obviously two professional wrestlers taking part in this match what is the difference you 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 know you're out there in the elements you're in a fucking river for crying out loud really i other than being uh, having two professionals as opposed to two amateurs do this, what really is the difference? Any guy, any woman can take, or any child <laughs> can pick up a tree branch and beat the piss out of someone. Anyone can dump someone into a wheelbarrow. Anyone can throw someone else into a river. Like, seriously, what's the difference? I think people need to get off their high horse and uh, just accept the fact that this is the same shit. It's just different people doing it. Now we see Bob Holly wrapping Al Snow up in some chain link fencing and he pins him for the three count. That's how the match was won. <laughs> and Hardcore Holly's like, fuck this shit. I'm going back in because it's fucking cold. So he's kind of running back inside the building. Um, the Hardcore title, really quick before we move on to the next match. The Hardcore title, for those of you who don't know, take a really close look at the belt. A lot of people think this is the the actual, like the pieces of the belt that are on uh, the main faceplate. A lot of people tend to believe that those are the pieces of the, the, the title belt that was held by Hulk Hogan years ago that got broke by, I, I want to say it was Mr. Perfect. I think Mr. Perfect stole it. Uh, at one point and uh, took it to the back or the locker room area and he took a hammer to it. Um, That is incorrect. While that did happen, those are not the pieces that were used to make the hardcore title. Those pieces, those actual pieces were actually sold to a private collector. If you guys listen to the Bruce Pritchard 
podcast something to wrestle with. Um, there's a point on one of the episodes where it is confirmed that one of their sponsors, who who does who makes title belts for a living, uh, I believe it's uh, Leather by Dan. He owns the actual pieces of the Broken Hogan title. So the this this hardcore title is uh, yes, it is a hodgepodge of broken title pieces, but it is not the title pieces that were from the Hulk Hogan belt. So the hardcore match is over, and again they're showing. Uh, a video vignette from earlier that day where you see Undertaker and all his minions uh, including Viscera, Edge and Christian uh, and uh, well I should say the Brood there all three of them are there Uh, you have Paul Bear there and they are all uh, huddled around a fire and they're taking instructions from the Undertaker and this is leading this video package is leading us to a match between Big Boss Man and Midian and uh, if you guys are keeping tabs Big Boss Man is pulling double duty on this show as he did wrestle earlier in the evening during Sunday Night Heat in that pre-show match and here we see Boss Man as part of the corporation he comes out first, and we get to see the boss man that is more, uh, he, he's not donning his his uh, classic boss man look with the Cobb County, Georgia police force uniform. He's actually all kind of like all black, black gloves, black nightstick. Like he's like a tactical officer at this point. Kind of reminds you of like Striker from Mortal Kombat, except uh, Redneck. <laughs> um... Bossman, another one of those wrestlers who completely capable of being more than a fucking, you know, mid-carder at best. He's He's got all the, the wrestling um, experience behind him. Same with Midian. And they're here, they're, they're here in the WWF at this point, and they're being paid to be a gimmick. And it's sad, man. It really is sad. I, I wish there were more viable paying options that kept these guys um, financially stable so that they could be elsewhere and be able to be actual pro wrestlers because it would have been really cool to fucking see these guys have at it. Right off the top of my head, I don't remember where Midian came up from, what organizations he was associated with before he got into the WWF, but I know the big boss man uh, was Big Bubba Rogers in the NWA, and you got to see glimpses of of him actually wrestle and wrestle well when he was Big Bubba Rogers. You know, for you know he he got brought in back then as just a bodyguard to Jim Cornette for the Midnight Express, but he eventually grew to uh, have his own matches and stuff, and you got to see Ray Ray Trailer, aka the Big Boss Man, aka Bubba Rogers actually wrestle and he works well he works really really well i think a lot of people under uh, underestimate him and midian but uh, midian comes out second and he brings it uh getting back to the match here midian comes out second he brings a jar of what is supposed to be formaldehyde and it has an eyeball in it (laughs) and he hands it off to jerry the king lawler who's at ringside and he tells him to take care of this and in true king fashion you know he remarks something to the effect of uh you know, I'm keeping an eye on you or, or something like that. Something cheesy and, and very pun-worthy. But uh, these two go about a little over six minutes. And I bring up I bring up all this, uh, this talk about them two being actual workers as we see Boss Man tell the fans to kiss his ass and then takes a lariat in the corner, like a lariat from hell, from Midian. I bring all this up with these guys being two, two awesome workers, just kind of watered down, because the fans 
start to chant boring during the match. Whether you're, you know, whether you're a professional wrestler or you're in a fucking spelling bee or you're public speaking, the last thing you want to hear or be a part of is someone chanting that you're boring. Uh, even now, I mean, if I was doing this in front of a live audience, the last thing I would want was for people to sit here sit here and call me boring or this podcast boring because that is not my intention. And I, th- I think it speaks volumes to, to the product at this point. You have two guys who are willing to do what they you know what they came to do and that's entertain the crowd and because partly because of their gimmick and partly because of the time and instruction that they're given they don't get to do that uh, necessarily i mean they try like hell don't get me wrong but if the fans are chanting boring there's definitely a problem and uh i think over over the course of my my viewership and, and fandom of professional wrestling. I think I've heard more boring chants from WWE slash WWF product than I've heard anywhere else in my entire life. And it's sad. It's it's uh, it's a sad state of affairs, ladies and gentlemen. At the end of this match, we do see the ministry come out, like, in full force, and they take Boss Man. They, they pretty much kidnap him, or Boss Man nap him, however you want to refer to it. But it's one of those, those storylines... Uh, you know, you have the ministry, you have the corporation. I, I don't, again, I don't like to speak ill of these factions because they, they definitely played a part in, in the history of the WWF. Uh, big parts. I think it came to a point where you had so many guys that they just, they didn't know what to do with. They were like, hey, we're just going to stick you in this faction or that faction and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll alter your character to make sense uh, like they did with the big boss man. And, and Midian, of course, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, he used to be one of the Godwins, so now he's just like an evil redneck. You just, you get, you get all these characters and then you just get them piled on into different factions. They really don't you know it it doesn't really mesh well with the audience you're just you're kind of there and you're subjected to it whether you want to be or not and i think that's part of where the fans i think that's part of where the fans reaction of boring comes into play with this match and and these storylines it's just oversaturation now of course i say all this but i do i do tend to agree with the fans it, it is uh you know they're not necessarily stinking up the joint, but it's <laughs> it's definitely not what Meltzer would call a five star match. But they certainly are trying, and I I will definitely give them an A for effort if we have to uh, abide by some sort of uh, ratings uh, system. Uh, again, uh, we're doing a watch along on this episode. We are Matless this week. He is uh, taking a mini vacation. And uh, during this watch along, we're watching the WWF In Your House number 27, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. We're watching the big boss man take on Midian. We're about 34 minutes and 20, 21, 22 seconds into it as boss man goes and gets the pin on Midian, thus ending the match. And now we will see the Ministry come out and uh, kidnap the boss man. You have Edge, Christian, both of the Acolytes. Oh, I forgot. I forgot that the uh, the place goes dark. And here comes the Undertaker's music and video. And uh, of course he'll come out now and kind of uh, supervise the kidnapping of the boss man here. As of this recording, we're hearing that the Undertaker might be calling it quits for good. He is 
currently not scheduled for a lot of events this year, including all of the Saudi Arabia shows that are supposed to go on this year, 2019. I, for one, am torn as a fan. I really love The Undertaker and that character. I also think he is over the hill, and he has had his time. And if they were to utilize him, they need to they need to do it sparingly and with with much more intent and meat. And uh, I, I really don't think we're ever going to see that done effectively at this point. I really hope, I really do hope he retires and he stays retired. I know for a lot of guys, it's hard to quit the business. I mean, think about it. If you do something for so long, myself included, you know, I was in the grocery business for 23 years. It's hard. It's hard to, to give something up like that. Just kind of be done with it. I, I get it, but he really needs to just stop. <laughs> So here they're, they beat up the boss man, and they're carrying him out like pallbearers do. Uh, there's, you know, three or four guys on each side, and they're, he's elevated, and they're, they're walking him back to the backstage. Pallbearers there with Midian, formaldehyde-preserved eyeball in the glass jar. And, uh, yeah, they steal the boss man. And now we cut to another video package. I believe this is for WrestleMania, maybe? The Showcase of the Immortals being televised here. Yes, WrestleMania live on March 28th. Sponsored by M&M's. Now they're backstage and we see Kevin Kelly. Wow, how, how far has Kevin Kelly come? Uh, he is backstage trying to interview D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, and Ivory. Who, uh, during the pre-show, during Sunday Night Heat, Ivory got into it with Deborah, And uh, so now this is this is uh, kind of a intergender match, I suppose. Uh, it, it, this is our, our fourth match of the night. And it officially is going to be Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart with Deborah, who are currently tag team champions. And they're going to go up against D'Lo Brown and... And Mark Henry with Ivory. And it, it the match is for the Tag Team Championship. And we I believe we are going to see Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown with Ivory come out first. Yes, they come out first. Here Mark Henry is still doing, kind of uh, doing his sexual chocolate. Uh, if I'm not mistaken and I remember correctly, he brings out uh, like candy and flowers for Ivory once they're in the ring. To give you some background on this feud at this time, you know, Mark Henry, he's having these delusions of grandeur as it were pertaining to uh, like his overall status with the opposite sex and so he flirts with Deborah and she pretends to be attracted to him because that's kind of what Deborah does that's that's her gimmick all the while you know this all happens while she's managing Jeff Jarrett and so Jeff Jarrett attacks Mark Henry from behind and to try to prevent Deborah from further distracting Mark Henry D'Lo Brown introduces him to in hopes that Mark Henry wouldn't be distracted during their match against the tag team champs so that they could possibly win some fucking gold here <laughs> and so yes uh, as we see now, he does hand her flowers and candy, and uh, he seems totally enamored with Ivory. Which, you know, you know, kayfabe, Ivory, Ivory wasn't bad looking, but um, it's <laughs> the storyline. It's just And uh, yeah, here's my fucking favorite person in the world, Slapnuts himself, Jeff Jarrett, comes out with his fucking goddamn guitar. His t-shirt reads, don't piss me off. He continually pisses me off. Uh, here's a guy, even at... Even at the height of his career, he was low mid-card at best. I don't care what anybody says. If if you if you guys as wrestling fans want to sit there and give shit to 
the notion of Southern, like, oh, here's another Southern wrestler. Do it with Jeff Jarrett, because Jeff Jarrett really is one of those guys. Obviously, you know, born and raised Southern wrestler, um, second or third generation, mind you. He is. He's low mid-card at best. For lack of a, a better term, he is, like, stereotypical southern wrestler he he is just he really is jobber material i don't i don't understand how or why he ever got as big as he did other than vince russo you know obviously especially when he was in wcw i think vince russo had a lot to do with jeff jared getting over it's sad it's sad to see the likes of owen hart who, like, I feel bad for. Like, he's stuck with fucking Jeff Jarrett as a tag team partner. And Owen Hart is, like, it's it should be fucking beneath him to be wrestling with Jeff Jarrett in any capacity. But here we are. Here we are, and they have fucking tag team titles around their waist, and they're defending them against Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown. I, uh, I just don't get it sometimes, folks. Again, this is, this is the plight of our podcast here. You have uh, us trying to interject logic into something seemingly unlogical this storyline is just bordering on kakamimi uh, i miss owen hart definitely miss owen hart and like wow what could have been if he if he were still with us what could have been he, he had such a bright future ahead of him you know coming out of the shadow of working around his brother you know being elevated to that that next level of performer and performance i think uh, I think he would have done wonders for the WWF had they pushed him uh, to become a main eventer. And and if he didn't stick around for whatever reason and he went to WCW or to a lesser extent ECW, I th- I still think he would have definitely been one of those very impactful performers. And we would have gotten to see him perform at another level. And that is something I will always always want and love is you know what could have been with Owen Hart Mark Henry Mark Henry's another one of those talents who um came you know came from being a, a strong man an Olympic strong man uh into the world of professional wrestling and you know while he was trained and, and he he did have somewhat of a wrestling background this was still kind of foreign to him but he's another one of those guys where he kind of got the shit end of, well no there was no kind of about it he did get the shit end of the stick when it came to him being pushed i remember you know watching his push I was happy. I was like, man, this is great. I, I can't wait. They're, you know, they're going to push him. And then they pushed him and they gave him, you know, his first world title. And a lot of fans weren't happy because his title reign was kind of like the drizzling shits. And I agree. I, I I definitely agree that his run was mediocre at best. And unfortunately, I, again, I think this, it's just, it falls on the, the WWE or WWF creative where it's like, what do we do with this guy? You know, how about you just let him be a pro wrestler if if they would have let mark henry be just a pro wrestler and not stuck him with shitty gimmicks like sexual chocolate he would have had i think he would have had the same effect on the audience as a kurt angle you know and and i I don't want to sit here and pigeonhole him in or like take the easy way out with him being this you know oh here we have another olympic athlete 
and that's his persona. But you know what? It would have worked. It so would have worked. And and I would I would have uh, even as a even if his gimmick, him just being an Olympic athlete, and he then you know that's that's what his his gimmick totally consisted of. He wouldn't have had to come to the ring in the red, white, and blue or any of that. I mean, he he still could have functioned and been over with the with the crowd by sheer skill alone. It's sad, man. So fucking sad that everybody just got like a small taste of the quote-unquote sexual chocolate <laughs> that is Mark Henry. Uh, D'Lo Brown, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about D'Lo Brown. The guy was an accountant who became a professional wrestler or vice versa. And uh, for the most part, uh, you know, D'Lo got it. I think he was a solid worker. Um, I really loved his fucking frogs, especially when he was wearing like the, the chest. Uh, those are always like really fucking athletic and entertaining to watch for me. But again, it was... I think it was one of the, those cases where, okay, even if we do push D'Lo Brown, what do we do with him? You sit there and you, you overproduce him to the point where he doesn't, it's kind of like he doesn't know what to do with himself. You know, he's he's always stuck in a certain gimmick. I think part of it is, part of it is like the curse of being a black wrestler. It's like, hey, you're a black wrestler, we're going to put you in the Nation of Domination because you guys should be part of like this militant faction, you know, dark-skinned wrestlers. And I say that because The Rock is not just black, he's also Samoan, and, and he was part of the Nation of Domination. So, yeah, it's seemingly just another performer getting pigeonholed into one or more shitty gimmicks. I think, again, I think if these guys had more opportunities to go elsewhere that paid well and kept them in the business without having to do other stuff, I think we would have gotten to see uh, much more from them as performers, as pro wrestlers. I easily, I easily could have seen D'Lo Brown go and be something worthwhile in ECW. I, as a matter of fact, I would have uh, fantasy booked him as their television champ. I think he, he makes for a great television wrestler. I think he's capable of doing 15-minute matches like they used to do uh, back back in the territories when they had TV champs. I think that would have been great for D'Lo Brown. That was one thing I always loved about D'Lo Brown's performance. He knew his limitations. He didn't try to do shit that he uh, he didn't know how to do. And, uh, you know, a lot of people give him shit like, oh, D'Lo Brown's just a frog splash. Well, you know what? He did it really fucking well. And he was able to put on very solid matches and, and still be effective for his gimmick. As we see Mark Henry get hit by Owen in the knee with slap nuts Jeff Jarrett's guitar. And now Jeff Jarrett's going to put the figure four on Mark Henry. And I believe this is the match. Yeah, Mark Henry taps. He is wearing a knee brace, so... Um, I don't know how much of this is actual, um, like, I don't know if he's working hurt legitimately or it's all a work. Either way, he's thriving in pain and they have lost the match. So to retain these titles, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart as still your champs. Uh, the match runs about nine and a half minutes and they're in the ring. And now you have Deborah basically being thrown to the mat and partially disrobed by Ivory. They're getting into a cat fight as, as, uh, the attitude era 
Romero so often gave us. <laughs> so now both women have their shirt either off or open. I'm sure the king uh, is is going crazy right now. Jeff Jarrett puts the his title belt over her, makes her carry it so that uh, she's not showing any cleavage as they walk back to the dressing room. Now Owen puts his on, so now she can cover up very easily and uh, not expose herself to the crowd. Uh, Jeff, for the record, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart, I do not like as a tag team. Uh, it is partially because of Jeff Jarrett, but also, I don't know, for me, they just didn't gel well enough to give them any, uh, like, real real grounds to be a tag team. Uh, we're going to take a pause here uh, with this with this episode. We're going to pay some bills and uh, continue this watch-along. So everybody pause at 53 minutes and 35 seconds and uh stay tuned we'll be right back hello ladies you know what really turns the big valboski on saving money that's right and you guys can help the boys over at the 20x20 crew do just that and visit raise 20x20 crew.com slash podcast slash raise Buy yourself some discounted gift cards, save some money, and support the show all in the same process. Damn, that's hot. 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash raise. Saving money definitely gets the big Valboski raise. Thanks again, everybody, for hanging in there with us as we do our first watch-along episode here at the 20 by 20 crew. Uh, Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for visiting our sponsors. Um, We're going to get continued here. And uh, we paused it at 53 minutes and 35 seconds. So we're going to start that up back now. Again, we are watching... WWF St. Valentine's Day Massacre 1999 and it is the 20-year anniversary of the the event. Uh, right now we are watching a video uh, package from Sunday Night Heat that happened earlier in the night with Mankind getting the piss beat out of him by The Rock. Oh boy. This this whole <laughs> this whole debacle with uh mankind um the character Mick Foley is a person and um and the rock like that that storied history is uh it, it, man it's just so it's so interesting it, it's one of those you have um <laughs> I'll never forget if if you guys haven't watched the documentary um, Beyond the Mat, I suggest you do so. Really, really good documentary. And in there, you get to see the backstage aftermath of, I believe it is The Rock versus Mankind at King of the Ring? I don't remember what year. But, um... That is the infamous uh, match where they end up, The Rock ends up hitting Mankind with a chair, like, I want to say it's like 14 different chair shots during the match, and he ends up concussing him and basically peeling back a part of his fucking scalp, 
um, it was bad. It was so bad. And between, uh, between one of Foley's books and the footage you get to see during that documentary and interviews and stuff over the years, you have, you have a Mick Foley who, you know, he's willing to do anything and everything for this, this company and, and, uh, you know, to to get his character over and the match over and things like that. And he puts so much trust into The Rock and, and, you know, every performer he got in the ring with. But at a point, you you finally hear Mick Foley throughout the years kind of regret uh, letting The Rock do that to him. Especially since The Rock kind of... Uh, I don't want to say nonchalant, but yeah, nonchalantly, like, hey, we we went out there, we did it, man, and, and that was kind of it. There was no, seemingly anyway, there was no follow-through, like, hey, are you okay, um, or anything like that. It was, I don't know. I don't know if it was like a, a braggadocious young rock who who just like naively thought, hey, that was the way the match was supposed to go and, and hey, we got it over. Or or he truly just didn't give two fucks about McFoley and how he almost fucking bashed his head in um, to the point of, you know, brain damage. It, one of the many aspects... One of, one of the the many points of their relationship where it's just really interesting over the years. Uh, definitely something to go back and look into and and, um, and watch. Uh, we'll throw it on the website as part of Merch of the Week for this episode. You can order it through our Amazon um, partnership. Um, always please support the show if you can. Uh, 20, 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash Amazon uh, you can shop do all your Amazon shopping through there no added fees no hidden fees no extra cost to you you simply do your shopping on Amazon through us and Amazon shows us a little love and support so we would definitely appreciate that if you can make that happen um our next match of the evening is, <laughs> again, one of those feuds where, uh, man, I don't know. Uh, the match is Val Venus along with Ryan Shamrock, um, l- lovely little lady here, uh, going up against the current Intercontinental Champion in Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock, definitely an interesting guy to convert over from mixed martial arts to professional wrestling, to sports entertainment. I really liked him when he was like TNA NWA champion because, you know, not only does he lend a lot of credibility, especially in the, you know, the same vein as a Dan Severn or, you know, thing, uh, people like that, but, um, Surprisingly, he made a really good transition over to wrestling in general, not just sports entertainment. And I thought his the way he was used in WWF was pretty good. I think it could have been better, but it was pretty good. He made a, a solid intercontinental champ. 
And uh, we get to see him here defend the title against Val Venus. Again, Sean Morley, a.k.a. Val Venus, uh, another one of those guys, young and up-and-comer, and I love the gimmick. I think it works well, but I think he's capable of so much fucking more. Oh, my God. It pains me. But uh, he really did well with the Val Venus gimmick. I don't... I, it's, it's hard... It, you're hard-pressed to find someone else who can get that gimmick over like he did. Especially in this, like, this time. Uh, during the Attitude Era. Uh, we have Billy Gunn as the special guest referee. Um, so, uh, leading up to the match, it goes like this. So, Ken Shamrock's sister came to support him at ringside. And she ends up gaining the attention of Billy Gunn, who ended up mooning her. So, Val Venus uh, ends up performing his little dance for her, you know. And despite... Um, you know, Shamrock's brotherly overbearing attempts to keep his his sister from um, g- getting in with the likes of Val Venus, or Billy Gunn for that matter. Um, she ends up being in Val Venus's <laughs> adult film, in quotation marks, Saving Ryan's Privates. <laughs> and... Um, he, Shamrock promises, hey, I'm not going to put my hands on Val Venus. It didn't stop him from attacking Val Venus repeatedly with steel chairs. So, like, literally, I won't put my hands on him, but I'll, I'll put chairs on him. <laughs> and even though the IC title is on the line for this match, uh, he still couldn't contain his rage. And, you know, he just keeps attacking Val Venus uh, again and again uh, during the you know during the entering uh, during entering interviews and such uh, when the referees and officials tried to break both those guys up shamrock attacks all of them leading to Earl Hebner who was the senior referee at this point refusing to ref the match so because he's you know obviously he's scared now he's fearing for his own safety and that of his team of referees so later in that same segment uh, dx's billy gunn comes out and takes off his top to reveal a referee t-shirt and he volunteers to call the match uh during this match i I have a few notes uh one good old michael cole even back in 1999 uh, still is, is, you know, fucking shit up left and right. And during the match, if you listen really close, he calls Ken Shamrock, Ken Shamlock. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I know I'm going to sound like I'm picking on Michael Cole, but I am. I'm picking on Michael Cole. Because here's a guy, he gets trained by Jim Ross, okay? And... All that training, all you know, all the all the you know the the many hours of performing and practice and such. Take it, you know, take your time, take your time and get shit right. Call it, call it like it's supposed to be. Get the get their names right. At least get their names right. He still does that shit to this day, where he can't, uh, like he calls wrestlers the wrong thing, the wrong name, and it just comes across like he just doesn't give a shit, you know. 
um, when JR, when JR was calling New Japan and he was uh, a little sauced on the mic and, you know, he's, you know, calling some of the Japanese wrestlers by different names or couldn't pronounce them. He wasn't really trying. And, and you know, whatever's going on with you, if you're a color commentator for wrestling or sports, get your shit together. Like, that's your job. You have one job. Do it. That's my gripe. Um, getting back to the match, Billy Gunn clearly is toying with Ken Shamrock here. And, you know, Kip, Kip's a solid performer. And and I, I think for the most part, he does a, a, a decent job uh, at, at what he does. But he's one of those guys where I think I think he does I think he does need a lot of production. I think I don't, I don't think he can be overproduced. You know, he works well in the ring, um, but in the way of storylines and such, I think he needs a lot of direction. I, at least that's the vibe I get. Um, you have, if I'm not mistaken, they end up building uh, a feud after this match. They build a feud between him and Ken Shamrock uh, because of the way the match ends, which is fine. Like, I, I never minded seeing that, but... You you have a performer like Billy Gunn, and he just he he works well in tag team stuff. But when he whenever he got singles pushes, I don't know I don't know if it was just like him choking, or 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 what have you. But his singles runs were I was never a fan of, and I just something gets lost in translation. And it sucks because, you know, he can work. He can definitely work. And you you would think, you know, two guys who can actually work and then you have Shamrock who actually, you know, takes part in MMA. It should be a no-brainer. Like, hey, this should work. It should be a pretty good match. And, uh, yeah, no thanks, man. I'll, I'll pass. I'll pass on that every day of the week. Uh, for me, this match takes way too long. I know we only have eight tele eight pay per view matches on this card, and we're already on the fifth one. But uh, this one clocks in at almost sixteen minutes. And if if the intention was for the belt to go to Val Venus, and then also start a feud between Ken Shamrock and Billy Gunn. I think both of those things could be accomplished in a much smaller amount of time. And, you know, keep in mind, this is a mid-card match, whether you're okay with that or not. I think for for a mid-card match, I think it goes too long. I think they could have ended it and still got across the point that Billy Gunn was going to screw over Ken Shamrock. So they, they easily could have done this, I'd say, probably in about 10 minutes as opposed to 16. A lot of people give 
someone like Dan Severn, Dan the Beast Severn, um, flack for for not having any personality in the ring, going in there and just being about business and and that's it. But he's a mixed martial artist. He's he's a legitimate mixed martial artist. Not that Ken Shamrock wasn't, but um, it's like that's all he knows. So when he when when Dan Severn was NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Um, that is, that is the persona you wanted for that, for that title. You know, that, that it, uh, it lends to the prestige of that title. Dan, Dan Severn is a professional wrestler. Uh, whereas Ken Shamrock at this point in time is a sports entertainer. And Ken Shamrock gets it. He, he knows how to be a sports entertainer and he he does a really good job at it. I I think uh, I think Dan the Beast Severn wasn't totally incapable of you know transforming himself into a sports entertainer, but for my money, I like to see Dan Severn as a pro wrestler. I don't I think that's why he didn't work very well in the WWF. They took his his mixed martial arts credibility and they were like, hey, we're going to make this guy a badass. And he was. He was a legitimate badass, but I think he was too much of a badass and he didn't want to budge. Uh, He'll tell you that himself. He's a wrestler and he wrestles. He doesn't sports entertain. So um it would have been interesting if they were able to like successfully convert him over, especially uh, like under the the tutelage of someone like Ken Shamrock. Um, I think they would have been a hell of a fucking tag team. Um, I mean, think about that for a second. Two legitimate MMA guys, which I don't think to this day I don't think has been done in any pro wrestling or sports entertainment. Like have a tag team that was based originally from mixed martial arts uh, hopefully we get to see something like that with the uh, all of the mixed martial artists uh, on the women's side that are coming up uh, through NXT and, and, and whatnot. I that would be really fucking cool to watch and um, and play out you know hopefully they do it well hopefully they give them enough uh, space and time to to get in there and build this you know cohesive mixed martial arts style tag team. I think that would, if done properly, man, what uh, what a spectacle to be to be entertained by. Especially on a stage bigger and and of the size of the WWE. If I read correctly, Val Venus these days is uh, is not in the professional wrestling business. He is in the medical marijuana business. I I think he owns or owns stock in um, in an actual dispensary somewhere in California, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's kind of always interesting as we see Billy Gunn here stop the three count <laughs> toying with Shamrock. It's really interesting to see these guys uh, 
you know, once they leave the business, what they do for a living. Uh, you know, obviously you get a lot of guys, especially the older guys, where it's like, you know, all I'm doing is wrestling and that's it. And, like, I'll, I'll keep doing, you know, public appearances and shit like that. And that's it. Um, but you get you get guys like Morley, you know, Val Venus, who was like, screw this. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking out above and beyond sports entertainment to see what else I can do and uh seems like he's in in something that he loves to do and and is um financially stable for him so good for him again another slow count by Billy Gunn and so that's like the third or fourth at this point and I think what they should have did with this match was have Ken Shamrock, every time he pinned Val Venus, obviously do slow counts from Billy Gunn on purpose, and then make sure that the last official pin by Shamrock was not only slow, but that's the one Billy Gunn should have counted. Should have been able to count to three, but then purposely stops him and definitively fucks over Ken Shamrock in this match. And then they could have ended the match right after that. Val Venus could have, like, rolled him up for a quick pin or, or something of that nature. I think that would have worked much better than the way this match actually ends. It also speaks volumes uh, on the part of Val Venus where, you know, he clearly had an opportunity to pin Ken Shamrock and he ends up standing over him and doing his little you know like gyrating of the hips dance wasting time when he could have easily uh taken the time to pin him and again ended this match with a with a better time Now we're seeing Ryan Shamrock help Val Venus get to the ropes after Ken Shamrock put on his ankle lock. It made me think of the uh, the bar brawl match he had with Tom Lawler Super Bowl weekend. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was available on Fight TV. I don't remember the promotion who put it on, but uh, you can find more information uh about Fight TV and actually get credit from us for, uh, like towards your first purchase. I think it's, um, I think it's 15 bucks, 20 X 20 crew.com slash podcast slash fight. That's F I T E. Uh, there was, they, the promotion had set up a match between Ken Shamrock and filthy Tom Lawler for a, a bar, a barroom brawl match. So, you know, no ring, no ropes, no nothing like that. They just literally battled throughout the, the bar. And I was reading um, an article where Tom Lawler was talking about the kind of the, the breaking of kayfabe there during the match where, you know, they had they had agreed upon what they wanted to do for the match. Uh, but at one point, there was some sort of... Uh, like stand or, or, you know, some sort of prop that Shamrock was supposed to powerbomb Lawler through and he completely missed it and Tom Lawler ends up getting po- powerbombed onto the concrete floor narrowly avoiding a concussion and possibly breaking his neck. 
Um, and then he, he ends up putting the ankle lock on him during the, uh, during the match. And Lawler was talking about just how snug or stiff Ken Shamrock's ankle lock was. And he, you know, he's telling everybody like, Hey, Shamrock's up there in age, but this man is no joke. He's like, I, he's like, it felt like he was about to break my fucking ankle. So. Shamrock, Shamrock looked good too, man. He's still, still pretty cut, still in shape. I mean, you can tell he's, he's, he's got salt and pepper hair now and he's, you know, there's definitely age on his face, but I have no doubt in my mind that man can still go. Uh, here we're watching the, the replay of the end of the match. Ryan Shamrock smacks her brother. Billy Gunn gets involved after the match. He, he beats up, uh, Val Venus after Venus poses with the belt, uh, obviously kind of like putting his name into the hat for the Intercontinental title. So Val Venus and Ryan Shamrock leave victorious as they're walking to the backstage area. We see a pan of the crowd, and now we're cutting over to another video uh, vignette of Mankind with Mr. Sacco. And this is, of course, going to take us to uh, our next match. Um, actually, this is just a shirt advertisement, but it, it ends up taking us over to our next match, which is going to be <laughs> the corporation in the form of China and Kane. And they're going to be taking on DX in the form of Triple H and X-Pac in a tag match. So that's what's on board next. Again, we are doing a our first ever watch along episode. Uh, Matt's on vacation this week. I am here at Casa de Mang, uh, as opposed to the Twenty by Twenty Studios. And um, yeah, we're we're doing a watch along and uh, follow follow through follow along with us. Uh, you're gonna need a network subscription so you can do that get that possibly at a discount 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash wwe network again that's all one word no hyphens no spaces so we're seeing um video package kind of uh, showing you what happened over the weeks um for those that don't remember it was the night after the Royal Rumble. Triple H demands an I Quit match against The Rock, uh, questioning his uh, the dubious circumstances that the one had ended the previous night. And so during the match, Triple H was just about to put Rock through an announce table when the corporation appears. And they... Uh, they ended up basically. Kane threatened uh, to choke slam China, who was you know like the DX bodyguard, uh, I suppose. If Triple H didn't quit the match, so when he did quit the match, the corporation left, but China revealed that she had switched sides by low blowing Triple H. So she you know she turns she turns against DX. And the following week, Triple H has a steel cage match with Kane, which he won thanks to some help from X-Pac, after China also interfered. After the match, 
she threatened her um her former partner in Triple H telling him that she had a special St. Valentine's, Valentine's Day gift for him. So uh, that leads us up to this match. And that's what you're seeing in the video package here. As we see low blow after low blow and um, her in the cage. Uh, again, the corporation, one of those factions where it's just like, hey, we've got a bunch of people we need places for and this is what we're going to do um for as many people sit there and complain about people turning heel or people people turning babyface those two roles in some shape or form will always be a part of professional wrestling and or sports entertainment I know these things have been done millions of times at this point, but given a compelling story, they both of those character archetypes still work. Uh, we have DX coming out first. Again, it is X-Pac and Triple H. X-Pac is wearing gold around his waist. I want to say that is the European title. I think it's the European title. So, uh, they come out first and they're, you know, they're doing the whole DX crotch chops set to pyro. <laughs> and they do the whole announcement, uh, you know, let's get ready to suck it and such. As you see the big suck it signs in the audience. Uh, Triple H at this point for me, man, he had a lot of potential. I really enjoyed over the years the feud he had with The Rock. Um, there, To me, there's no bones about it. Both of those guys, they gave each other hell, and they performed well against one another. And from the sounds of it, uh, listening to shoot interviews and interviews, reading articles and such, um, at one point, at least at one point, there, there was legitimate beef between those two. And, and I think... More, a majority of that beef was, um, you know, two guys just being competitive, competitive in nature and wanting to be the best in the business. But that's what brought out such a great feud between the two. And that's what elevated both of their performances. Um, was there real heat at times between these two? Yes, of course, but I think they channeled it. And, and used the energy very wisely and put it into their performance as opposed to um, something non-synergistic like, uh, you know, telling each other to fuck off and like fucking each other over in matches and such. So one of those times where something actually works like better than it should have. And uh, us fans, us fans got the, the best part of it, man. There's awesome performances by those guys. And speaking of awesome performances, I have a giant salt truck outside of the studio here deciding to interrupt. So we're going to, you know, bear with me, folks. This is, <laughs> we're live, pal. Uh, Kane comes out. Kane and China coming out as part of the corporation. 
Kane, another one of those guys. I, you know, I love the gimmick. I love what he has done over the years. I think the gimmick is long since played out. And, you know, obviously he's the mayor of, um, what is it, Knoxville, Tennessee now? Um, and, you know, he doesn't perform unless it's like a special occasion or, or something of that nature. But I think that gimmick was just... I, th- I think it went way longer than it it had to have gone. And I'm not saying like, hey, bring back Isaac Yankum or, or anything like that, but um, maybe just uh, maybe retire, maybe maybe you know utilize him backstage as a, as a road agent or something of that nature. Because Kane in the later years was not uh, like he just didn't mean shit, you know. He just didn't. Uh, here we see China coming out, uh, obviously who is no longer with us, and Joni. Uh, Joni was Joni was one of those. It was like right place, right time. At, at least to me, she, um, you know, clearly she had an impact on on sports entertainment and. She was making such strides um, in the realm of intergender competition. And I, again, I don't think she had a, a, a proper opportunity, a proper push to like truly showcase what she was capable of. But I think she's a pioneer nonetheless. And, you know, people, I'm sure people out there will sit there and disagree with me, but you don't, you don't often get opportunities like that for someone to come along and and trailblaze a new avenue, a new path for a certain kind of competition or a certain type of performer. And when, when you, when you have that, um, when you have that opportunity, that unique opportunity, you take it and you, you should strap a fucking, a, a gang of rocket fuel to it. I think, I think she could have made way much more of an impact in this company and, and in other companies later on down the line had she been able to, to keep her, her life together better. For those of you who have, who have not been to a live event or have not been to a live event in some time, the size of Kane. Now keep in mind, I'm six foot eight, uh, about two hundred and forty pounds. People regard me as a big, big guy. Um, you know, I, I certainly I'm not small, but. Um, you know, I definitely have a stature about me, and, and I know I'm bigger than most people. But he makes me look like a, a shrimp. <laughs> he makes me look so small. Uh, same thing with Big Show. Like, just massive, massive human being. Uh, intimidating, nonetheless. I mean, you know, not only is he tall, but he's... Especially at this point, Kane is jacked. He's... Like, he's a heavy, heavy dude. He's got to be pushing 300 pounds. 
He's built like a brick shit house. Here's China. China wants to tag in. He finally gives it to her. And again, Joni's no slouch. Uh, she has an interesting working punch where when she hits you, she kind of fades back a little bit. And I'm not like I don't I don't have a gripe with it in a negative manner. Uh, it's just it's really interesting because you don't get to see that. You know, everybody's working punch is different. <clears throat> Excuse me. Every work everybody's working punch is different. One of the most regarded working punches in the business still to this day by a lot of people is Scott Halls. If you take a look at Scott Halls, he's uh, there's a lot of forward momentum in his punch, and um, he's also when he connects with your face, he's also spinning his body almost uh, almost like a roundhouse, and depending on how he does it. He his he's either putting a forward and turning motion towards you as he punches you to let, really lay into the punch, or he sizes you up and then does a complete spin and lands the punch on you. So one way or another, you're getting clocked pretty decently um, during the match when when he actually puts fist to face. For future reference. Um, Triple H using the ropes like going up top is uh, I'm not a fan of. I, I never, you know, he's he's a he's a pretty good technical wrestler, and again, I th- I think he's just prone to working his gimmick. So you only get to see a certain amount of his technical ability. But um, dude, lay off the ropes. You don't need to go climb to the top. You don't second second uh, or middle rope at best, and even then, keep it in the ring. You know, don't don't try to be any kind of high flying. And I bring this up too because now Kane, Kane is on the top rope, ready to come flying down with like this lariat from hell, and it is impressive. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> it is impressive any time a man of his stature can climb to the top rope of a wrestling ring. And fly off like he's fucking Rey Mysterio. But uh, just because it could be done shouldn't mean like means it shouldn't be done. Here we see Joni doing a good uh, job of blocking a standing suplex. Which H does get up but then she, she uh, weasels her way out of it. And she slams him. Uh, I don't. I, I want. I definitely got to go back and and uh, look up some information to see what she was benching while she was uh, working for the WWF at this time. Because I, I know, I know it had to be up there. I want to say around the two fifty range, if I'm not mistaken. It was like two fifty. Because this was. Keep in mind, this was like. Uh, this was early. It was like two years into her career there. Or her career in, in wrestling, anyway. And here you see X-Pac and H double-teaming Kane, trying to get him over for a suplex, in which uh, they battle back and forth, and they finally get him over. Um, X-Pac, uh, again, one of those... Um, 
for whatever reason, he he was one of those performers where you actually got to see him wrestle just about as as good as he wrestled anywhere during his his given career. Um, you don't get to see a lot of guys be able to do that. Go from you know the the pure unadulterated wrestling that is independent wrestling and translate it over successfully into the WWF. You know, again, a lot of these guys are watered down and such, but Waltman, Sean Waltman, uh, a.k.a. X-Pac, he's one of those guys that you get to see something very similar to how he would perform in an indie setting, um, which it's, it still surprises me to this day. Anytime... A WWF or WWE performer gets to perform on on a level that is um, not so watered down. You you should be aware that you're watching something special because this is not an everyday occurrence. This isn't something that actually goes on. He he does it. He does it seamlessly. I mean, and and I'm not saying uh, he's done it his the entirety of his stint with the company, but. When he was the the lightning kid and the one two three kid, he still did moves that weren't necessarily uh, okay with with WWF management or WWE management, and I think uh, some of that at least was doing part to him being part of the clique and and them kind of getting their way backstage with Vince at times. Um, no matter how much uh, truth or, or falsehood there is to that, uh, I, I do believe they had some sort of pull uh, with their you know their matches. And and again, this isn't. Uh, this isn't me, like, riding their dicks and, and being a, a fanboy uh, about the click and, and all that. Um, but they do. They do come out and say, like, hey, you know, we we more or less tried to book our own matches because, you know, we wanted the locker room to be at its best. And I know a lot of people think that's horse shit and that they just were money-hungry and, and whatnot. And hey, you know what? There There's some truth to that. They do, you know, they wanted money. And everybody should want money in something they love to do. Why not? But I think, uh, I think for whatever, whatever reason, whatever gripe you have, I think they were still able to do stuff during matches that uh, didn't necessarily sit well with the booking uh, committee in the WWF. And, uh, it definitely helped. It definitely helped the matches, in my opinion. And we do, I feel we see that here with uh, X-Pac. Uh, and he, if, to me, he is one of the, I think he's probably the most underrated or, or at least overlooked member of uh, said clique. Where, um, you know, he leaves... He leaves the WWF and he gets signed to WCW as part of the NWO as the sixth member. And that that move right there, that was like 
it was perceived, I know I've said it before on other podcasts or other episodes, it was perceived as like this big momentum changer in the Monday Night Wars. And I think it was so relevant and, and like such a power move in the way of talent because it was it was Hall and Nash's real life friend. This wasn't this wasn't Hulk Hogan being put, you know, paired with them. This wasn't Sting or or Macho or any of those guys. He was a real life friend who had taken, you know, time and and you know been with them for years and have developed a friend a true friendship, you know, on and off television. And when he came over to be with them, it was like. Uh, it was like the icing on the cake for them. Like, great, we, we finally have uh, the kid with us. And we can, like, really start to run roughshod over people. And it showed. Like, they had a new confidence about them once he showed up. And you got to see him perform uh, like a true cruiserweight. Um, much more so than he did in the in the WWF. And I think a lot of people overlooked that. I think it was a, a very important trait of talent that definitely swung the pendulum further towards the side of WCW success. I don't think a lot of people see that when we talk about X-Pac, a.k.a. Sean Waltman, a.k.a. Six. Still love that shirt. I love the, the Six shirt. The one shirt I... I wish I had owned. I never got the chance to own during the uh, the NWO days. Here you have uh, the match is continuing. It's got uh, Triple H and Kane brawling on the outside, almost towards uh, like they're going towards the the backstage area. And then you have X-Pac landing the Bronco Buster onto China. Always a bit of a controversial move. Uh, here comes uh, Shane McMahon to interfere in the match. <laughs> uh, what can we say about Shane McMahon? Good Lord. Um, X-Pac chases Shane McMahon to the back. Uh, I don't like what Shane McMahon has become in the way of a performer for the company. Um, I just don't. I think he had a, a place in a time, and his relevancy is long gone. Um, I think he should just give it up. I really do. And and now I think, if I'm not mistaken, as as this is being recorded and aired, he, uh, he is tag team champions with the Miz right now. So, yeah, I think that speaks volumes about WWE's booking at the moment. Kane with the choke slam to help out his partner China. Uh, he's gonna pick her up and drag her and throw her on top of Triple H. And I think he's going to. Oh no! Okay, so he's just waiting on the on the apron as uh, referee Tim White one Tim White runs back to count the pin. And now we have China and Kane, aka the Corporation victorious over DX in the form of Triple H and X-Pac. The match goes about 15 minutes. 
Um, again, more more room and more lost potential here for a better storyline. You have Kane and China operating uh, as a, a remarkably as a pretty well gelled tag team. Uh, something that I never expected with this match, and. Uh, it's a shame. It's a shame that we didn't get to see more of this, especially with with uh, China, you know, becoming this intergender pioneer of sorts. I think they could have easily, you know, had her tag with Kane and and become a legit tag, a legit tag team, and win gold. I I I think that was a a missed opportunity by them. Uh, my thoughts on Triple H and X-Pac as a tag team. Obviously, they have chemistry. Obviously, they're friends. In the way of a tag team, as far as DX goes, they're so-so. Uh, they're not my favorite. Obviously, uh, when we talk tag teams and DX, everyone thinks the New Age Outlaws. And you're right to think that. I mean, those guys... Um, Road Dog and, and Billy Gunn had such great chemistry as a tag team, both uh, on the mic and in the ring. So if you're asking me who I would love to see when it comes to DX tag teams, it is definitely the New Age Outlaws. So now they cut to uh, to the backstage area. You see two open ambulances and a gurney uh, uh, awaiting this this next match uh, as Michael Cole and Jerry the King Lawler do their color commentary or their the best um, chance at color commentary because uh, our next match is the last man standing match between Mankind and The Rock and uh, Mankind is coming into this match as the world champion again another storied part about uh, this whole rock and mankind or or Mick Foley um, relationship over the years it's it's been tumultuous at times and you know there's it's out there in the ether of of wrestling rumors and stories where you know, people like The Rock didn't have faith in McFoley as as the heavyweight champ. A lot of people feel that he just didn't translate over as a good champion. Uh, Vince McMahon being one of them, and, and it sucks because you know that gets out there uh, to the public, and then to make matters worse, the night he won the championship for the first time, it was a pre-taped RAW. And, uh, obviously, WCW spoiled it on a Nitro, uh, which was really underhanded. And, and hearing Eric Bischoff talk about that these days, he does regret doing that. But at the time, it was such a scumbag move for them to spoil it for everybody. They essentially had Tony Schiavone get on the mic and say, hey... Don't turn the channel if you want to go watch WWF, you know, our competitor. 
don't turn the channel. We're just going to tell you what happens. And they're making mankind their world champion. And he said it with such disdain. Like, oh my god, I couldn't believe they're doing that. Um, again, a lot of people thought he was unworthy. And, man, you want to talk about, like, stupid bullshit when it comes to wrestling. Quite honestly, whether you whether you agree with me or not, I am of the opinion that he makes a hell of a champ. I just think he wasn't pushed necessarily the right way. Uh, this video package that they're showing right now is a really good um, sum up, you know, like a, a nutch, like everything you need to know about their their his their storied history in a nutshell. A really great video package, including that fucking empty arena match. Good lord, um, but yeah, getting back to the idea of mankind being world champ. Mick Foley as a world champ that that statement alone so much so much fucking potential especially in the WWF because they had access to every one of his gimmicks this wasn't like oh he's only under contract as mankind or he's only under contract to do mis um do love or cactus jack no they had every facet of creativity associated with mcfoley and to me they completely dropped the fucking ball on this one for my money if i'm fantasy booking mcfoley's world champion so he let's let's say he already has the title you prolong his title reign by essentially utilizing his different gimmicks. And what I mean by that is you take Mick Foley as mankind and he's champ. So you you're you know you build him up, you have match after match, uh, you know, th throw whoever any any name you want up against him. But depending depending on the their situation and the way the story's written, you have him go up against um, other other instances of Mick Foley. Like, um, I'll give you an example. So, The Rock. The Rock wants the belt back. He wants it back so bad. He's got a title shot scheduled against Mankind, right? Well, you have you you know you you put it out there on Monday Night Raw. You have Dude Love. No, I take that back. You have Mankind come out and explain, like, you're not worthy of a um, another title shot. You're going to get it, but you're not worthy. And if you really, really want it, you're going to have to go through other guys. So tonight on Raw, you're going to have to go against uh, Dude Love. And then you have him, you know, pull up a video of dude love commentating on how he's going to come out and beat the rock's ass it's as simple as that and then again you swerve the rock rock loses the match to dude love and then he comes back at it again and this time he's like you know fuck this shit i want my title match and then you have the same thing happen again 
where you have mankind come out and be like, oh, you couldn't get past dude love. What makes you think you deserve a title shot against me? But I'll tell you what, you really want one? You go through Cactus Jack. And then you have him versus Cactus Jack. And I understand it's the same performer. It's it's all McFoley. But those different personas, he worked so well with each and every one of them that you are really looking at different people, whether you realize that or not. You're looking at different people fight The Rock or fight whoever you want to put up against him. And it makes for such interesting and entertaining television, um, sports entertainment. That's what I would have done with Mankind's title run. And let the critics say what they want to say. I think it would have been a fucking smash hit. And it, it definitely would have been fucking interesting. Especially if you have someone as hungry as The Rock. And as hot as The Rock. Let's face it, The Rock is fucking just as hot, if if not hotter, than Stone Cold Steve Austin was at this time. Um... You had that kind of level of of talent there in the WWE at this time. Uh, You had a lot of guys. You had a a star-studded, superstar-studded, say that three times fast, locker room at this point in time with the company. Like, it was chock full of awesome fucking talent. The things they could have done, man. uh, It's just one of those things I will forever be pissed off at this company about. Just all the wasted opportunity. Uh, Here you have The Rock coming out first. Mankind is now coming out with the belt. He is at ringside. And to give you guys a check-in, I am at an hour, 51 minutes, and 53 seconds. And uh, here we are for this last man standing match. Um, So basically, if you guys don't know or don't remember a last man standing match means your opponent has to be subdued for a 10 count if they do not answer the 10 count and they cannot get back up on their feet the match ends this particular match spoiler alert will end in a draw it ends at 22 minutes so we're just getting started here with this match um Uh, Leading up to this match, officially leading up to this match, so The Rock becomes WWF champion at Survivor Series. And, uh, of course, it was under the most dubious of circumstances, uh, which they aimed at recreating the Montreal Screwjob, again, which took place with uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Uh, this means that the opponent mankind lost the match by submission without actually submitting. Yeah, in a nutshell. Uh, the following month, being December, at uh, In Your House Rock Bottom, the Ma- mankind won a championship match by causing the Rock to pass out from the mandible claw. Everybody knows and loves the mandible claw, especially when it involved Mr. Sacco. Um, but the rock technically did not tap out so due to the the ambiguity of the circumstances you know mankind eventually gains a championship match on the january 4th edition of raw which he won and then he he ended up losing again at the royal rumble in an i quit match thanks to a recording of his voice being played now that is the 
if I'm not mistaken, that is the uh, the match I referred to earlier in this podcast, uh, where McFoley gets his uh, gets a, a really bad concussion and his uh, his head busted open really bad, where it peeled back part of his scalp. Uh, courtesy of The Rock and all those chair shots. Again, I think it was 14 chair shots. You can see the aftermath in the Beyond the Mat documentary, which uh, you can purchase through us, through our website, um, over at 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash Amazon. And do all your Amazon shopping. Go, go get yourself a... Either a physical copy or a digital copy of Beyond the Mat and uh, help support the show. Uh, here they are. They are wrestling uh, near the entrance uh, where you have all the the um, entrance prop, uh, the entrance way props, you know, like the, the scaffolding and such. They're, that's where they're battling at right now as Rock gets Irish whipped into some of that steel uh, structure. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, going back to the Royal Rumble, uh, Mankind loses after his voice was pre-taped saying him, I quit. Um, then they have the empty arena match during halftime heat, which was, uh, during the, the halftime of Super Bowl 33, he trapped the rock underneath a forklift and that's how he won the match. And then going into WrestleMania, there was a definite decision needed that needed to be made over who the champion would be, and uh, thus a match with no seeming ambiguity over it, uh, over its end, was booked. Uh, This being a last man standing match where the winner is, again, the wrestler left standing after the count of ten. So there's really no other rule than that. That's why they're all over the damn place. And uh, right now, they're on um, one of the tech tables towards the back. And uh, this is some scary shit as you have both of those guys on the table. Luckily, it didn't break because, you know, those two beefy guys up there, uh, it didn't break until The Rock was DDT'd into the table. These guys, like, damn, they just, they take it to each other. And I'm really, I'm really surprised at Mick Foley for agreeing to shit, just working with The Rock in general after, after all the shit he had put him through during that Royal Rumble match. Uh, If that were me and... And, you know, you got a guy who takes, who decides that giving me 14 chair shots to the head while I'm handcuffed was a good idea um, and necessary for the match. Shit, I I would be, um, I'd be rethinking my career and my my choice of uh, partners here uh, to wrestle up against. But um, uh, I'm also not Mick Foley, so. Folks, uh, thank you again for enjoying the podcast. 
and uh, listening. We're actually going to take another break and try to pay some more bills. We're going to let you enjoy the rest of this match in its entirety. And uh, we will get back to you after the match. So please enjoy the match. Enjoy the rest of the match. And uh, stay tuned. If you smell what the rock is cooking. Finally, the rock has come back to support the 20 by 20 crew. That's right, jabronis. Make your way on down to 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash Amazon. Know your role and shop with the boys through Amazon. They get money back. They get some love from Amazon. You get to buy whatever you jabronis want to buy over at Amazon.com. And it works out both ways. 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash Amazon. Know your role, shut your mouth, and go do some shopping. Welcome back, ladies and gents. Thank you again for listening to the podcast and supporting the podcast. And we are in the midst of our first ever watch-along episode. We are watching WWF's In Your House, number 27, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, 1999, emanating from the Pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee. We have uh, we have let you enjoy the Last Man Standing match in its entirety, so we are sk- skipping ahead here. If you will, please join us at the 2 hour, 22 minute, and 45 second mark. I'm going to hit the press, I'm going to hit the play button right now. Uh, you should see the ring crew setting up the old school steel cage uh, which is matted black now instead of blue Uh, they're setting it up for the steel cage match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mr. Vince McMahon Uh, while they set up the cage um, going back to that last man standing match uh, you know I had kind of um, fantasy booked McFoley and his multiple multiple personas. You know what? What better way to have that last man standing match than to feature all three of his personas in that last man standing match? He could have easily came out and started off as Dude Love and was like, screw this, you don't get a shot at the title tonight until you beat me. And then you have The Rock go ahead and beat Dude Love. And then... The Rock's, you know, let let The Rock do what he does and get on the mic and, like, bring that jabroni out here. You know, I, I beat him. Now now I want the match. I want my title shot. And then instead of Mankind coming out, you have Cactus Jack come out. And he has to battle through Cactus Jack. Now, I understand this is a lot of work for Mick Foley uh, with the three costume changes. But damn, what a crazy-ass match that would have been. And then for it to go to a draw, which this one did. Um, dude, I, I think it would have added like that much more uh, meat and depth to the match. And put it over even more. I think I think we'd still be talking about it much more so than, than what uh, actually occurred. So... Uh, here we have Stone Cold Steve Austin coming out. Trademark black and silver vest. Climbing the ropes. 
giving everybody his uh, his arm raised in the corner pose. Um, yeah, what, what I mean, I I really enjoyed the last man standing match. I just think uh, booking it that way would have been a hell of a lot more interesting. Um, really quick too. Uh, there's there's one thing that I always point out during McFoley matches, and I will do so now here, is his breathing. If you listen to his breathing, he makes weird noises like "acha" and things like that. It's it's done on purpose. It's it's uh, kind of a breathing technique that is used to combat pain. Um, I don't know what the technique is called. But it is a legitimate like breathing technique to to come to combat pain. Um, I'm sure there's information out there on the internet somewhere. If I find some that is worthwhile to you guys, I'll post it as part of the the episode's webpage. But um, yeah, so you will hear him. Uh, I know. I think Terry Funk does it at. at uh, points in time in his career I know Chris Jericho did it from time to time you get these guys who who you use that to help combat pain during the match as we see Vince McMahon come out looking jacked to shit anybody who tells me this motherfucker doesn't do steroids is smoking rock and and I don't mean Dwayne Johnson uh this is fucking ridiculous how massive Vince McMahon is at, at this point in time in his career. Uh, not just as a CEO, but as a as a performer. Like, this is ridiculous. He's clearly juicing. So, uh, Vince is climbing the cage now. And um, he's, he's kind of uh, touting... Steve Austin, and Austin's like, come on, get your ass in the ring. I can't wait to beat your ass. But uh, uh, to give you some background on this match, and this is our main event. And uh, so here's what happened. So Stone Cold defeats Mr. McMahon in a steel cage for number one contendership at WrestleMania 15. Okay? And when Vince McMahon... Wins the Royal Rumble, <laughs> which, wow, and people and people have a, a issue with fucking Kevin Nash booking himself um, to get over like that. Anyway, I digress. So McMahon wins the Royal Rumble, and that earns him a match against the champion at WrestleMania. But at the time, it seemed as if the champion was going to be The Rock. Okay, and so. Being that Mr. McMahon is not a full-time wrestler, uh, it was announced on the January 25th edition of Raw that he was vacating his place at WrestleMania only to be informed by the commissioner, Shawn Michaels, that if the winner is incapable of wrestling in the WrestleMania main event, then the runner-up takes their place. Being as the runner-up was Stone Cold Steve Austin, Austin, this enraged Vince McMahon, and Austin used this, um, Austin used this to, you know, bait McMahon into a match, um, explaining that even more than a WWF championship match, he wanted another chance to fight Vince McMahon without any legal ramifications, so much that he would risk his WrestleMania place for a chance at the match. 
and to make sure that it was just one on one and it would take place in to make sure that it was just one on one it was going to take place inside of a steel cage so the night before on that special saturday night raw which actually filmed uh the preceding monday McMahon made Austin run the gauntlet against all the corporation members, ending with McMahon pinning a weakened Steve Austin. And that's how we get to this cage match. And um, so far, Vince McMahon is doing a bang-up job of keeping Stone Cold out of the damn ring now. There's a... Man, there's a lot to be said about the character of... Vince McMahon or Mr. McMahon. Well, we'll say Mr. McMahon. Because, um, again, this is one of those fantasies. You have a fantasy of um, letting your boss have it, telling your boss to shove it. You know, this job sucks. You know, shove it up your ass. All those, all those great things about telling a boss off. This is what resonates with everybody who loves this this angle and this storyline and who better to do it than the the bionic redneck stone cold steve austin he's not necessarily bionic at this point because he's only wearing one knee brace so uh, I, i think he was officially the bionic redneck after the placement of the second knee brace uh regardless he is now trouncing Mr. McMahon all over the announce table and uh, now uh, they're about to go into the crowd. There goes Mr. McMahon over the border into the front row and Stone Cold follows suit. These guys, uh, I think this works so much because of trust. Uh, There's a lot of trust that was put in by both of these guys you know they they knew it worked they knew it worked and why it worked and i I think mcmahon was open to it because it was steve austin i don't think he would have necessarily gave this opportunity at least to this extent to anyone else and that includes the rock that includes uh triple h that includes mcfoley I, I just I think they realized they had something special and that there was a certain chemistry with the both of them. And uh, the, believe me, there's a lot of trust going on here. Uh, Vince just doesn't allow anyone to manhandle his ass. So, and kudos to Steve Austin for selling for fucking Vince McMahon. I mean, shit. Um, <laughs> That's another thing about the about sports entertainment and, and pro wrestling these days. The the art of selling is just so lost. It's such a commod, such an uh, an important commodity to professional wrestling, and it just it doesn't it doesn't get executed in a very effective manner these days. And it's a shame. It really is a shame. I bring it up too because uh, Stone Cold. On one of his episodes, he was talking to Jake the Snake Roberts, and uh, <laughs> I know everybody these days has beef uh, with Jake Roberts over the whole Jerry Gray situation, which 
Uh, I'll get into that here in a minute, but Jake the Snake Roberts, awesome fucking seller. I mean, you can be you can be mad at him about um, his personal dealings and what kind of an asshole he is in life. That's fine. It didn't take away from him selling. He knew how to fucking sell. Stone Cold knew how to sell, um, and he they knew how to get people over. And that's what he's doing for Vince McMahon here. Shit. I mean, don't get me wrong. Vince is doing his job too, but uh, Stone Cold is definitely the better seller. Um, I think that I think selling the art of selling is a point of contention with a lot of fans these days, both old and new, because a lot of the the old school wrestling fans notice that it just doesn't get done or done appropriately and doing very small things in a match in the way of selling can be so fucking effective at gaining your audience's attention and it isn't like you have to necessarily do these gigantic formidable tasks i mean just the smallest little thing like taking a powder uh for those who don't know what i'm talking about if two guys are wrestling in the ring and one clearly gets the best of the other so one of them rolls out of the ring like fuck this shit i'm just gonna walk away for a little while that's called taking a powder the the amount of um anger that that gets riled up in wrestling fans when someone takes a powder is something truly uh special to watch uh, i remember <laughs> i remember being at a ring of honor show in chicago uh, and my daughter was with us and it was uh it was like a 10-man tag. It was the Bullet Club versus Los Ingobernables de Japón. And if I'm not mistaken, Cody Cody Rhodes was in the ring. And he was starting to clear house of the guys. And I believe Naito, Tetsuya Naito, rolled out of the ring and was like, Fuck this shit. I'm not, you know, not going to take his bullshit. And he just kind of waited a little bit. And it got such a reaction from the crowd. And, you know, in Governables fans were like, yeah, you know. And then Bullet Club fans were booing. And my daughter being a Bullet Club fan, um, absolutely incensed by the entire thing. Completely angered, like, get back in the ring, you know. <laughs> it was great. It was great to see that that little bit of a, an effort in in that particular way still gets such a rise out of the audience one way or another um getting back to jake the snake and jerry gray if you guys don't listen to brian last's um 605 super podcast and you're a fan of old school wrestling I implore you, please go listen to that podcast. It is probably 
the best wrestling podcast in existence today. And I know those are really strong words, but Mr. Last does such a real good job of storytelling um, about old school wrestling and um, approaches it from the standpoint of almost like a historian. And it just, he makes, he makes it so fucking interesting and he works really fucking hard at it. I, I am a huge fan of the show. Um, kudos to the 605 Super Podcast, but, um, Jerry Gray, a former wrestling, uh, a former wrestler and a former wrestling, uh, promoter. At some point in the podcast, I don't remember what episode it was, but uh, Jerry Gray was a guest and he ended up talking about like road stories of working with Jake the Snake Roberts and there, he has many of them and a lot of them are really fucking amusing and he had brought up the notion that Jake the Snake still owes him money somewhere around the, the amount of like 10 grand. Um... You know, after all, Jake did go through some uh, drug-related problems in his life and things of that nature. And Jerry Gray was one of those guys that was trying to help him out. And Jake would constantly, apparently, constantly um, take advantage of Mr. Gray. And uh, now Jerry Gray is dealing with uh, the monster that is cancer. And uh, he can use any help that uh, that people can give to him. Uh, we will post that link on, uh, on this episode's uh, page for you to donate to Jerry Gray uh, if you can. Um, but... There has been a huge backlash against Jake the Snake for not helping uh, Jerry Gray out in his time of need now that uh, Jake got his shit together. And I, I don't want to be the guy that sits there and says I don't believe either one of them. Because um, clearly, you know, uh, you know, I don't think Jerry Gray is lying about going through cancer. And, you know, God forbid that he is. I mean, that would make him a very fucking terrible human being. Um, and I hope no one ever does that. But it's a lot more plausible to knowing the the asshole that Jake the Snake is and could be. That that is probably the more likely of the two stories that Jerry Gray is right. And that... Jake the Snake does still owe him money because, you know, Jake was down and out more than a handful of times in his life. And, you know, he he has not made amends to a lot of people. So, um, I digress. Getting back to the match here, we see Mr. McMahon, who was about to be uh, rolled out of the arena on a stretcher. He's, you know, he's got the full... Uh, neck brace on on the whole nine and Steve Austin got on the mic and was basically like screw this shit the match is not ending this way I promised you guys uh, blood and I'm going to give it to you so he runs and 
dumps McMahon off of the gurney, and now he is at ringside, and he's beating him with one of the uh, the fiberglass boards they use to like a transport board, like a gurney board. <laughs> And he's dragging him back into the steel cage. Um, this is by far one of my favorite steel cages. The old school. This one, it used to be blue. Now it's, they, they painted it black. But it's the same cage. That is the wrestling, the steel cage. One of the steel cages that I grew up with uh, as a wrestling fan. Uh, watching it on Saturday night's main event. Especially the match between Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Hulk Hogan for the heavyweight title where they both drop down at the same time and oh man what a hell of a night that was staying up late saturday night and watching that match and just being shocked like holy cow did hogan just lose this match you know did they tie like what the hell's going on such a cliffhanger it was such fucking great television i definitely miss uh television like that in the way of sports entertainment it's not quite the same these days <laughs> Um, clearly not a conventional steel cage by any means, especially growing up and being saturated with NWA and other territories, WCCW, you know, world-class organizations like that, where they had actual chain link steel fence, steel cages most of the time, which seemed to me more brutal, by the way. I know this is my favorite, but the, the, the steel chain link for me always just gave the appearance of being more brutal especially like oh man especially during war games nwa war games just you know you had those two two cages side by side and joined together complete with roof you 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 always had well not always but there was point in times where they would bring out like a head of cabbage or a head of lettuce and they would rub it up or cheese sometimes and they would rub it up against the chain link fence to show what it does you know and it shreds the cabbage or, or what have you and it just gives you this visual that you can't escape after that. You're like, oh shit, like this is going to fuck you up. And you can't really do that with this uh, this very spacious uh, steel cage here that's being used in this match. I mean, obviously the holes are way bigger. And, uh, and although it is a steel cage and it is meant to keep the combatants inside, it just doesn't give off the same kind of vibe as a, a steel a steel fence one does so but this match you know i'm obviously just like most everybody else huge stone cold fan and uh it's always entertaining to watch him especially now since he, you know he's been out of the business for quite some time i really do miss him uh, but i also think that if he were to be brought back in any capacity like his time is over with his time is up and it's just not the same so why? Why try to recreate that? Like, just let it be. Uh, recently on Twitter, you had the Velveteen Dream tweet out something to the effect of, you know, we're in the midst of a revolution, and you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but, um, you know, we're in the midst of a revolution, and you have, you know, the Attitude Era is dead, the 80s are dead, and let them stay dead. Like, it's our time now. And I completely agree with him. I know, I know you, uh... You old school fans out there are probably motherfucking me right now as we see uh, Vince McMahon busted open finally, allowing Stone Cold to fulfill his promise here. We are. We are in the midst of this awesome revolution in, in the pro wrestling industry. And yes, it's not the pro wrestling you grew up on, but it's not meant to be either. 
And I think a lot of people need to realize that. Like, the Attitude Era is over. Was it great? Of course it was great. But now we're on to something different. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. And you're more than entitled to an opinion. It is clearly a, a different beast. And for all the Joey Ryans that are out there, there are there are also um, Kenny Omegas out there. You can be mad, but in all honesty, you shouldn't be too mad. There's still guys out there still trying to push the envelope. There's still guys out there trying to tell stories. They're just doing it in a different way. And I think a lot of old school fans just immediately dismiss that. Like, oh, this is, you know, this is totally devoid of story. No, it's not. It's just done a different way now. And maybe you can't relate to that. And if you can't, that sucks. I, I mean, for you, uh, not for me, because I can relate. I, I, love, I love stories in general. And I'm able to see the stories that are trying to be portrayed by today's professional wrestlers. So, you know, there are times where as much as I love Jim Cornette, Corny just doesn't get it right all the time. You know, no one does, myself included. But I understand. I understand professional wrestling as it is being done today. I understand that it isn't the same thing as as what agrees with Jim Cornette, uh, but it, it's not meant to be. Uh, here we have Stone Cold hitting Vince McMahon with his patented Stone Cold Stunner. That is another uh, awesome episode of the Stone Cold Podcast where he, he's talking to Kevin Owens, and they're kind of going back and forth about the usage of the stunner because apparently he told them, he told Kevin Owens if he's he's ever going to use it in a match again, he needs to learn how to do it right because there's a certain mechanics to it. Uh, it's a really fucking interesting episode because it's a glimpse into technical wrestling from someone like Stone Cold Steve Austin who you just don't, you don't think, you, you forget that he's such a great technical wrestler because he was Stone Cold Steve Austin for a long period of time. Uh, getting back to the match here, Paul White, everybody who who... New back then as the Giant and now Big Show makes his surprise debut, um, aiding Mr. McMahon here in the defeat of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, what can we say about Paul White? I, I did. I, I'm assuming it was some sort of uh, copyright uh, issue where they could not use the Giant name, but. I don't know that I would have uh, called him by his name. I, I, I don't know what I would have did, but him coming in as, in as just Paul White is a little bit underwhelming for me because he clearly is an attraction. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's he's definitely one of the few uh, attractions out there that was athletic enough to, to have another layer of depth to him and his persona, but... Don't let him come in here just as Paul White. Like, call him something else. I mean, I'm I'm glad they came up with something like The Big Show or whatever, which I'm, I'm still not happy about. I think they could have come up with something a bit better. But, yeah, they just refer to him here as Paul White. Uh, although he this all does backfire because he does throw Stone Cold Steve Austin against the cage. The cage ends up swinging open. One of the walls swings open. Austin falls to the floor and ends up winning the match. And people are throwing shit at uh, Paul White in the ring. 
<laughs> which I don't, I don't know. I don't understand that. I mean, you've got Stone Cold clearly winning the match, and he did. You got blood. He promised you blood from Mr. McMahon. You got it. So, guys, it has been uh, a blast doing this episode. And again, uh, Matt has the week off, and uh, we hope he's getting some rest and some relaxation in as uh, as he takes a break. And uh, this is gonna pretty much do it as they replay the ending of the match here. Thank you guys again for listening to the podcast and uh, venturing and venturing along with us on our first watch along episode. Again, you have just watched WWF's In Your House, number twenty-seven, Saint Valentine's Day Massacre, nineteen ninety-nine. I hope we get to do this again. This was this was pretty cool. It was it was nice to shoot the shit with you guys and and just talk some fucking wrestling. I I really love to talk wrestling and. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Again, we are available on social media really quick here. Facebook.com slash 20x20crew. You can catch us in our um, Facebook group. Facebook.com slash groups slash 20x20talk. If you want to come shoot this shit with us on there. Uh, You know, we share memes with each other. Ask each other... uh, questions i'm always trying to come up with shit to pick your guys's brains and 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 get your opinions about stuff because uh i'm a wrestling fan just like you guys are uh we are also available on twitter um over at uh you know twitter.com slash 20x20 crew or just at me at 20x20 crew or madden i should say um yeah come hate tweet us (laughs) shouts out again to uh all the Twitter love out there, including uh, Super Crazy and uh, the King of uh, Death Matches over there, Nick Gage, um, dude, both of you guys, it's an honor. It's an honor that uh, all of all of the pro wrestlers or pro wrestling organizations that follow us actually follow us. It's it's a uh, it's a cool little bit of validation there. Um, thanks, thanks for supporting the show. Uh, we're also on Instagram. Uh, Instagram.com slash 20x20crew. And uh, we're also on YouTube where we do the following contest, which is exclusive to YouTube. And it's where Matt and I take uh, our favorite wrestlers or wrestling scenarios and we, we book them, we fantasy book them, and try to come up with some interesting shit. There's, I'm sure there's tons of stuff out there that you guys have not seen and would like to see. And that's what we do. We just, we pick each other's brains for for stuff that we would love to have seen happen or happen differently. So check that out uh, over at 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash YouTube. It'll bring you straight to our channel. Uh, hit that subscribe button for us, please. Every subscriber helps. And um, definitely check out some of the following contest. And, and as always, our home on the web is 20x20crew.com. I want to take the time to to thank uh, all the hardworking folks, the, the few of them that there are over at Paper Bullets Media for uh, allowing us to be a part of their network. Um, for more information on Paper Bullets, you can get that over at paperbullets.site. That's dot S-I-T-E. And you will see... Um, all of their shows, or all of their upcoming shows, right then and there on paperbullets.site. Um, again, Matt, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, I hope you're getting some R&R, brother. 
um, definitely miss you. And uh, happy anniversary to St. Valentine's Day Massacre. We hope you enjoyed this episode and your Valentine's Day. And um, yeah, until then, we will see you in the ring.